Belgioso Cheese is a family-owned and operated company specializing in artisan Italian cheesemaking. Using only natural ingredients and fresh, local Wisconsin milk, master cheesemakers handcraft a full line of exceptional cheeses, guided by a commitment to quality and a respect for tradition. Ask your distributor about Belgioso's award-winning fresh mozzarella, burrata, ricotta, mascarpone, American grana, and parmesan. At Belgioso, every cheese is a specialty. All right, Chef Steve, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about what is happening at Belgioso? So right now, like I said, we're uh, business as usual right now. We've got a couple new trending flavors that we're, we're, we're getting ready to launch. Like I said, I think I kind of hinted at some of it last time we talked. Um, you know, our artigiano is really, a you know, a, our multiple enzyme cheese that we developed some time back that we're really looking at kind of growing the marination profiles that we have on that. Right now, we have a blueberry that we just released not that long ago that's really kind of starting to trend. We're starting to see a lot of different salad concepts are looking to use it kind of like as a, as a crumble, as an additional ingredient, if you will. Um, and then right now, actually, today, we are actually getting with our brokers and our sales staff, and uh, we are sending out the first round of samples of Blood Orange Artigiano. It's going to have more of that, you know, a little bit of that, that twang, if you will, that you get from a Blood Orange kind of fitting uh, a lot of different profiles, kind of even hitting more toward that Hispanic side, if you will. Um, we're really kind of excited to see what the the public uh, tends to think of that. Some of the chefs that we've worked with and that we've got the product into their into their uh, their mouth, so to speak, now have have has been pretty well received and a little bit different than anything else that's kind of currently out in the market. Now, you know, last time we talked, we were talking a lot about how Bojoyoso is this Italian made cheese. It's known for its family roots. What inspired you guys to go into blueberry and blood orange cheese? Well, us as a whole, we are very, very traditional in the in our make and everything that we do. But we know, especially when you look at the retail side of business, um, there there's this there's this new want out there that, you know, especially since COVID, so to speak. I mean, it's really kind of taken off with the popularity of charcuterie and people are just kind of look, constantly looking for bigger, bolder, different flavors. Um, we're also always kind of getting asked more along the spicier profile as well. And, and we, we we kind of walked the line on that just because we know that that's typically not real, real traditional Italian. Um, but we're trying to, trying to you know, meet the, the need of the consumers. And then also... Just with with uh, the, on the food service side, so many of our chefs that we work with, they're all about, hey, how can you give me simplicity, but in in a in a prof in a flavor profile that I can utilize in many different um, recipes, but I can also eliminate the amount of items that I have going to that recipe. So, like the blueberry artigiano is a perfect one, you know. We we're seeing, hey, you want to be able to claim blueberry in your salad, but not have to worry about the blueberries going bad you know go into that marinated profile cheese a little bit of crumble in there and you kind of get that creaminess but then yet you actually pick up the on the the aroma of the blueberry the flavor of the blueberry um so again just like every every chef right now it's all about less is more you know but we've got to keep the recipes and everything we're dealing with scaled that into a way that I can have the most basic of labor that can handle the execution of that product. All right. So, uh, Sam, you said that you don't know these people, but you know Ben Affleck, I'm sure. Well, sure. I know Ben Affleck, but um, <laughs> Ice Spice and... Renee Rapp. 
And then Demois was this week. There's also the Jack in the Box Snoop Dogg partnership. Sure. Um, Okay. Did you know the people in the McDonald's famous orders? Cardi B and Offset, Saweetie, J Balvin. I Cardi B. That was the only name of all those that I knew (laughs) in that bunch. Um and and honestly, I mean, I'm I'm I guess I'm that demographic that I only know Cardi B because she performed on SNL. Like that's how I <laughs> look. Look, I'm not I'm not going to pretend I'm not just some middle aged white man at this point. These are not these campaigns are not meant for my demographic. So I'm not going to be out here pretending like these brands are partnering with nobodies. Uh, but I, it's more of a self reflective. Like, oh wow, I guess I'm I guess I'm old now. Well, you could do the Danny DeVito Jersey Mike's. I feel like that's up your alley. Right up my alley. There we go. Danny DeVito. Now we're talking. Well, that was part of the appeal of him is that he appeals to Gen Z, that he appeals to boomers, like that he appeals to everyone in between. And so I think that was part of their main thing with that. But like these other companies are all trying to target younger demographics. There's the uh, Raising Cane's partnership with Post Malone. Um, I mean, we've seen celebrity partnerships forever. This is nothing new. McDonald's even had a famous orders meal back in the day with Michael Jordan that we've talked about on this podcast before because Sam was a big fan. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yep. So like, this isn't new, but it feels like for some reason they're really amping up on these celebrity partnerships. I mean, I think this week there were four. That's in four days. It's only Thursday when we record this. So, I mean, I think that it's wild that these celebrity partnerships work so well. I mean, Alicia and I were talking yesterday for First Bite about how the partnership with Hailey Bieber and Krispy Kreme for her new lip gloss that she calls a glazed donut lip gloss brought Krispy Kreme like double digit traffic increases on those four days, which is absolutely insane. But Hailey Bieber is also has that kind of power with her influence. But that's neither here nor there. Um, But also interesting that her husband, Justin Bieber, has a deal with Tim Hortons. So I think that's dueling donut brands. I don't know how, how that looks to the to the outside world. but um, house divided. <laughs> well, he's Canadian, so he had to do Tim Hortons. I mean, there's, sure. there's no, obviously, he's a famous Canadian. Um, so what do you guys think about the fact that all of these brands are really ramping up their celebrity partnerships? Do you think that it's to get traffic in? Yeah, I mean, look, I have two words. No, one word. Two words? One word? TikTok. That's all I got to say. TikTok. Is that two words? That's one word. One word. Okay. It's a proper noun. Uh, it's, I have one proper noun for you, and that's TikTok. <laughs> I, they, you know, look, they, I, I presumably all of these people have huge audiences on TikTok. Um, you know, based on what I know about all these celebrities, they are young and probably very active on social media, and they have a following. And we just, we know that that's the coveted generation. That's the coveted uh, you know, traffic to try to capture and they are spending their time on Instagram and TikTok. And so the way to get their attention is to partner with their favorite celebrities. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. It will always make a ton of sense, but I do appreciate that the brands are getting more creative, right? Because like, look, Michael Jordan was a slam dunk. <laughs> get it. <sighs> I crack myself up sometimes. Too early for a dad joke. Uh, too early for a dad joke. Okay, so Michael Jordan, what it was the biggest name on the planet for about a decade. I mean, he was so that's like the holy grail. Like you go for the biggest celebrity, the most famous athlete, and and everybody knew Michael Jordan. You know, dads knew Michael Jordan, and kids knew Michael Jordan. And now, as you can see from me, uh, these are people who are not universally globally known, not all mainstream, and yet they have a they have that draw because 
anymore with social media, you can have a niche audience and that niche audience is still massively, um, has, has a massive potential because of who that audience is. Are you talking about Gen Z being a niche audience? Well, no, I guess I just mean like, if let's just take one of these people. Let's just, let's just do a thought experiment here. Michael Jordan, when he was in a McDonald's commercial to promote the meals he was doing, at that time, mind you, they, that commercial might have aired to 30, 40 million people during an episode of Seinfeld, right? Like once upon a time, that was the, 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 um, a commercial's potential audience was massive because everybody watched the same five channels in prime time. Okay. So, and if you are on a commercial on prime time, you know, there are some guesses as to what that demographic could be, but by and large, it's a mainstream demographic because all shapes, sizes, colors, ages are watching. Whereas today, let's take one of these celebrities, Ice Spice, let's say. Uh, let's guess that Ice Spice has, I don't know, a million TikTok followers. I, I'm, I'm walking into uncharted territory here because I don't know who this person is. So bear with me. Let's say that person has a million followers on TikTok. That million followers on TikTok could yet be more, have more return on the investment of getting in front of that 1 million people than Michael Jordan getting in front of 40 million people in a commercial during Seinfeld. You know what I mean? Because it's like, and if you understand who is the core demographic to Ice Spice, you can tailor that campaign around that demographic and that audience a little bit more specifically. It's, and, and, and it's safe to say that that's probably Gen Z. So that is just to say that it's a much smaller audience you get with some of these people, some of these influencers' audiences. But by knowing who they are, who they appeal to, you can tailor that campaign to a much more niche audience and still have as much of a draw. It's 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 like, you know, to use a gun analogy, which is not exactly my forte. So again, walking into uncharted territory. Let's see how many times I can get Holly put her head in her hands on this one. <laughs> um, you know, it's like the sawed-off shotgun approach of yesteryear was throw out a commercial onto mainstream primetime television versus the, you know, sniper approach to okay i'm gonna stop talking i Please. i don't know my metaphors <laughs> i don't know anyway leanne go yeah i have some thoughts um first of all totally agreed ice spice is a much less mainstream celebrity than michael jordan was 30 years ago even though she does in fact have 10 million tiktok followers that's wow, a real number I, i'm really unplugged guys it was incredibly to easy to google um google Anyway, I will say by targeting at this point in time, younger Gen Z and Gen Alpha, restaurant companies are not only getting those generations into their store, they're also getting their parents into the store. Uh, so it's an interesting approach to market to the kids instead of the parents, or in this case, you know, the teenagers, the young adults. But the whole family is still coming in. It's like when I was a kid and McDonald's would advertise their like Happy Meal toys. Like, oh, we got to go to McDonald's this week because they have toys from whatever show I'm obsessed with right now. Sam is nodding along. I'm guessing McDonald's might still do this based on his reaction. They here. sure do. All right. Um, so it's a similar thing. It's just that now it's TikTok celebrities and the ads are on TikTok. They're on YouTube as opposed to just being like interspersed with your Saturday morning cartoons or what have you. Now, not to keep focusing on the very specific Ice Spice example, but this one is also interesting to me because Duncan, yes, is working with Ice Spice, but she's appearing in Duncan commercials alongside Ben Affleck. 
So they're really casting an incredibly wide net with this duo because I'm guessing that a fan of one is not necessarily a fan of the other. I don't think anybody is seeing this commercial and going, oh my God, my two favorite celebrities are both working with Duncan. Now that's <laughs> a niche audience. <laughs> Call me, I really want to meet you. Um, so in this case, Duncan is casting a very wide net. Uh, something interesting too that's going on with these, I always think it's fun to look at these collaborations and see like, you can tell which audience a restaurant company is trying to target based on what who they're working with. Um, we had two of these announcements on Tuesday this week. One was the Jonas Brothers working with Friendly's, which to me, I don't know a lot, I guess, about Friendly's demographic, <clears throat> but in my mind, it's not necessarily, you know, the Jonas Brothers or Jonas Brothers fans. So this feels to me like a case of Friendly's trying to draw in uh, some new consumers with this campaign. Same day, Sweetgreen announces their collaboration with Renee Rapp, uh, who feels to me like a model Sweetgreen consumer. She's a 23-year-old white woman. Uh, she sings, she acts. She just looks and feels like a Sweetgreen consumer to me. And so this, to me, feels like Sweetgreen trying to draw back in regular consumers um, or to have like give their loyalty members a reason to show up this week, things like that. So it's just interesting to see that like, yes, we're seeing all of these like dozens and dozens of celebrity collaborations, but they are being used for different purposes and they have different goals. Uh, so that's been really interesting to watch even this week to see like, oh, Baskin Robbins and Demois, like, I, you know, the, that one is a little, well, I guess to moi, like, I didn't really have that on my bingo card for the year that I'm like collaborating with any restaurant brand, although the get the scoop tagline is clever. I'll give them that. Uh, Demois is a gossip columnist, Sam. <laughs> I oh, can tell okay. that you've got nothing there. <laughs> no. Sam's like, get the scoop. Is that clever? Yes, because you're getting the scoop of gossip and you're also getting the scoop of ice cream because it's Baskin Robbins. I see now. See, I did want to say, Snoop Dogg, I get, right? Like Jack in the Box and Snoop Dogg, like that's a match made in heaven. Like that's yeah. just, I get that. And that, you know, Snoop Dogg is like 60. Like, like I mean, talk about a guy that appeals across generations. Um, and, and it just, it makes sense. But yeah, some of these are, again, a little bit more laser focused into the specific demographics these people connect with. Um, and those that demographic is not me. What I find interesting is the McDonald's collaborations because they started with Travis Scott, who appeals more to millennials. They sold out of quarter pounders from that. Like that deal literally made them sell out of quarter pounders, which is their bread and butter or meat and butter. Um, but they, uh, you missed my dad joke. Nobody responded to the dad joke. Come on, Sam. That was for you. Meat and butter just sounds gross. <laughs> Uh, so then they moved on to, they did J Balvin, they did BTS. And I feel like all these people appeal to different audiences. Like BTS is a very specific audience of Gen Z that really loves K-pop. Then there's J Balvin. That's a totally different audience. Then there's Cardi B and Offset. And I think that what they're doing with their meals is they're trying to attract everybody at different times. So I think they're trying almost playing around with their marketing to see who's responding to what, rather than just shooting a net like Danny DeVito and uh, Jersey Mike's, which Jersey Mike's literally said, this is to attract every single person to our company and it's helped what's working for them. I mean, 
I think these partnerships are all doing good things. We didn't mention Taco Bell and Pete Davidson, which they saw their breakfast increase after they started a commercial with him. Um, it's just, and like McDonald's is doing what's right. Sweetgreen is doing the same thing. They're doing things that require no additional SKUs. They are using what they have. And I think that's a really smart thing to do to have like a celebrity meal, but using things that you already have. I think that's what the marketing gold is. Yeah, it's a big investment because these celebrities do charge a premium. Um, but the return on that investment, to your point, Holly, when you're not investing in a product, you're just investing this as a marketing message. Um, the return on the investment is potentially huge. Now, Holly, I don't want to take your job. I don't want to do the segue for you. But if I may, um, this segues nicely into one of our creators winners, which is Sweetfin. And I wanted to talk about them, but I didn't want to spoil it. So I just figured let's just let's just plow right ahead. Let's just talk about the creators. <laughs> we were going with that. So let's just talk about it. So we're going to jump into talking about our creators awards. We launched that award a couple years ago, which is to recognize innovation and innovators. And, um, you know, we have five winners this year that you can see read up on at NRN.com and you can meet them in person at create in Palm Springs, October 1st through 3rd. We're going to have a session talking to them about their innovations. Very exciting stuff. But one of them is Sweetfin, um, which is a poke and bowl concept out of Los Angeles, Southern California, uh, with about 20 locations. And we are specifically giving them an award for their influencer marketing on TikTok. And, and I wanted to bring them up because they are exactly what you're saying, Holly, which is, you know, they, they have uh, a number of celebrities and I more quote mark celebrities, influencers really, um, that they have partnered with over the years. Um, that have, it's, it's not a blanket thing, right? It's not just like our lane is going to be hip hop artists and all hip hop arts. You know, they've partnered with a fitness instructor to do a, uh, some, a fitness instructor who's very, has a very large following on TikTok. Um, and they did, you know, a very sort of, um, lifestyle bowl oriented, um, marketing message. They've partnered with comedians. They've partnered with, uh, pretty straight down the middle social media influencers. They've partnered with celebrity chefs and I, and we gave them the creator award because I thought that was, this is the first time we've really seen for starters, a smaller concept, 20 locations, again, out of Southern California. They, some of their names on their partner list are names that people all over the country know. Um, but again, they're, they're really tailoring these, uh, this, this marketing campaign around um, specific groups, specific demographics, and not just the same one over and over again. And there's something to learn there, which is for all of you who are out there that have a regional brand or a smaller concept, you have personalities in your city, in your state, in your neighborhood, who can do this for you too. And it doesn't have to be the big name brand. It can be somebody who is, uh, you know, just a, a local influencer who's, you know, who tweets about or posts about local restaurants. It could be a local celebrity chef. It could be a local athlete. And they all could work, right? You don't have to just pick one lane and stick to it. You can cycle through these people and and build a regular calendar of campaigns, which is what Sweetfin has done. I think I believe they do it on a quarterly basis, and and in doing so, you kind of are um, shooting for a different demographic every time, and and it just puts your brand front and center. And it's just really smart because again, all of these people that Sweetfin is leveraging uh, have in the millions of followers, and so and and for the most part, they are all in Southern California. And so um, their name brand gets front and center 
Um, and it, you know, conversely, those celebrities, those influencers get to ride the coattails of Sweetfin and its existing loyal customer base. So all, um, all relevant to the conversation about celebrities. And I think just important to stress that this is for everybody. This is not just a major brand that has the budget to pay for Saweetie, whoever that is. It can be somebody who is in your, you know, local city, uh, you know, here in Columbus, if you do anything related to Ohio state football, you know, boom, like that's that's massively successful. So th that's the lane you can choose. I went to Cameron Mitchell in uh, Columbus rather than uh, the Ohio State football. But, well, everybody, um, sure, everybody knows the name Cameron Mitchell, but you throw a you know, Cameron Mitchell's not going to do a campaign for another restaurant, right? Like he's he's a name, but he's not a, I don't know, he's not the same kind of draw versus, you know, CJ Stroud who was the quarterback for the last two years, finalist for the Heisman twice, the number two pick in the NFL draft. Like that guy was pulling in millions in name image likeness deals because in Columbus, the guy is a god. He was a great quarterback. Holly doesn't know who that is probably. No, nope, might not, not know who that is probably. And that's fine. I don't know who Saweetie is. And you guys don't know who CJ Stroud is. We are identifying that we can all be different and it's fine. Um, but all of these people have marketing cachet. So what about the other creators, Sam? We've spent a lot of time on Sweetfin, but let's move on to some of the other ones. Rally off, tally off what you need to say to us. Sure, I can do that. Thanks, Holly, for that segue. Um, so look, we, we wanted to recognize innovation in all its forms. Um, and we've done that the last couple of years. Uh, different this year than we have done in the past. The last couple of years, we've, we've had categories. This year, we didn't have categories because we wanted to open up to, again, just innovation, whatever that means to a company. We invited companies to submit their innovations to us. Uh, we sorted through those, certainly hundreds of submissions, but we also... Uh, looked out in the industry to see what we were seeing in the industry. And we came up with a list of five innovators. So Sweetfin, again, for their marketing innovation, which is very exciting. Uh, Wetzel's Pretzels. They've developed this new concept, uh, new prototype called Twisted by Wetzel's. And that innovation is all around the the storefront. It is, here's a brand that's been around, you know, I guess three decades probably by now. And they're totally upending the idea of what a Wetzel's is. And they rethought the menu. It's a totally new menu experience. And it's a little bit more for the of a street side concept than a typical Wetzel's, which is often in a non-traditional format. Um, so there was true innovation around totally reconsidering the concept, um, which was very exciting to us. And so that was one of our, our creators winners. Donato's Pizza near and dear to me based here in Columbus. Um, but what they're doing is an automated kitchen. And, you know, again, you're, you're, you're seeing this, I've seen a lot of automation take over around the industry, but, but Donato's a is developing the technology themselves. They have an entire office next door to their headquarters. That is their innovation hub where they have people developing technologies to implement at Donato's. And so they've developed uh, a, machines that can, sauce, cheese, and pepperoni, their pizzas, and then slice their pizzas. Um, not all of them are out yet, but they're, they're working to roll out these, uh, these machines. I've seen them at work, and it's incredible because to consider, literally a, an employee just puts, a, puts dough in front, you know, on a little you know, thing here with a machine, and it puts out the sauce. For those who are just listening to this, that was my way of putting sauce onto a pizza. Um, and then you move it along, and then it puts out the cheese and and machines do this perfectly by the way there's no human error here right so that puts out the cheese and you put it under a pepperoni machine donato's is well known that they put a hundred pieces of pepperoni 100 slices of pepperoni excuse me onto a pizza 
and it perfectly lays out 100 slices of pepperoni onto the pizza. And then you move it to another machine and boom, it perfectly slices the thing into the dimensions that they want. Um, and so we're recognizing them for that innovation, A, because it's in-house. This is something they de developed themselves. And B, because automation is the future of the industry. And they got out ahead of it. They're rolling this out to their kitchens now. They're going to save incredible amount of time, incredible amount of labor in their kitchens by doing this. And it's going to take them into the new directions because they're talking about doing like a pizza vending machine now because they have this automation in hand. So that's Donato's Pizza. Uh, we are also recognizing, this is the part where I have to remind myself who we're recognizing. That's what I was thinking. Wow, you really got to remember a lot, Sam. Tupelo, honey. Thank hey, you. Now, um, there you okay. go. <laughs> Leanne, do you want to talk about our innovators? I feel like I'm talking too much. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I know um, as much as you do, but we've got um, Tupelo, honey, uh, which is a family dining brand, I believe. Uh, I know that Sam and Alicia have both spent a lot of time um talking with the team there. They've got some really interesting, innovative workforce and benefits programs uh, that they've implemented. So I think it's really cool that we're looking at that kind of innovation this year. This is the kind of award that we wouldn't have been able to give when we were funneling ourselves into particular categories. Um, but especially in this day and age to see labor innovation out there um, is really cool. So I'm excited to honor them. And then we have our friends at WowBow, which, uh, what aren't they doing over at WowBow? They've got an NFT loyalty program. They are selling their frozen bows. Uh, they've been in retail for a long time, but they just struck a deal with Walmart. Uh, so they are everywhere. They say that they want their bows to be as ubiquitous as the chicken McNugget. Uh, so keep an eye out for Wow Bow. They are also getting a creator's award um, from us this year. Nice job, Leanne. Way to slide in there and pick up the slack for me. I appreciate that. Sam, Sam, you missed your plug because this week on Take Away the Sam Ocus, there's going to be an interview with Wow Bow. That's right. Uh, a lot of listeners probably know Jeff Alexander of WowBow, who will be at Create to speak on behalf of their innovation. Um, Jeff, if you know him, you know that guy almost can't stop. Like he's constantly tinkering with this concept, constantly looking at innovations. And we get into that on this week's episode of Takeaway with a few other guests, all done in person at Prosper and Amelia Island, Florida, a couple weeks ago. Um, there were yeah. also some uh, older episodes in the archives uh, with. Uh, Folks from Tupelo Honey. Honey with Seth Cohen Sweetfin. from Sweetfin. We yep. recorded that one live in LA. Lots of That's people right. we've seen throughout the year, and now we're getting all our friends together in Palm Springs. So uh, By the way, go back through the archives. And now you know how we learn about the innovators is we go out and we do podcasts with them, which is to say, if you want to come to a podcast with us, let us know. Um, come to Create. We'll do a podcast with you. Uh, but yes, look. Innovation is such a trite word at this point, right? It just feels like when you, you say innovation, what does that even mean? Um, and and we do, we leave it very open-ended. And so what we want to honor and recognize isn't just very generic concept of innovation. It is re honoring and recognizing the future. We want to, we called it a creator because obviously dovetails nicely with create, but literally to recognize people who are creating a future for the industry and all of these innovations are emblematic of some direction the industry's going in. And so if you want to learn more about where is the industry going, go read up on all of these concepts at nrn.com, come join us and create in Palm Springs and learn from these people because they're all thinking way outside the box. 
And, um, and you, you sort of have to do that to keep up in the industry today. Well, and so I don't want to leave today without talking about hot concepts, but I don't think we can go as in depth as we did with the creators. So why don't you give us like a top line, uh, what are hot concepts? What do they mean to the industry and sort of what can they do for our future? Yeah. I mean, our hot concepts are recognizing emerging restaurant brands that are, we think the next big thing. Uh, hot concepts have been going on since long before the three of us were with the nation's restaurant news and have recognized some major, major success stories, raising canes, Panda Express, Cheesecake Factory, Shake Shack. These are brands that have been on the hot concepts list before. Uh, in a way, we want to honor those who are the next generation of exciting brands that we think could scale across the country. Um, and so, you know, yes, we have some parameters as to what that looks like. We, we're looking for concepts usually under 20 locations, typically ones that are just sort of regional to date, but have plans to scale into something bigger. This year, we added another filter, and it was really to look at brands that uh, we wanted to look at a, a wider breadth of brands, a, a better diversity of concepts, because you can only honor so many burger, pizza chains, sandwich chains that are, you know, that have a lot of momentum, yes, but are, you know, the experience in the menu are fairly straight down the middle. We wanted to, we wanted to diversify that idea. And so the five concepts this year, uh, which are, I do know these ones, uh, Milk and Honey, a New Orleans, New Orleans inspired brunch spot, Colada Shop, which is a Cuban cafe, fast casual, uh, Cornbread Soul Food, which is a fast casual soul concept, uh, soul food concept. Uh, Rare Society, which is a steakhouse that kind of harkens back to the nostalgic steakhouse, but with a sort of a little bit more of a shareable element to it. And then the fifth one, which I'm going to remember as soon as I get done saying these words, because I'm buying myself some time is Pisana, which is out of Los Angeles <laughs> and has five units uh, between California and Texas and has a, uh, a well-known founder in Candace Nelson, who founded it with her husband, Charles. Candace, of course, founded Sprinkles, the cupcake concept. Anyway, without rambling on too much about them, because you can learn more about them at nrn.com and you can come meet all of them at Create as well, uh, is just to say each of them, yes, there's a steakhouse concept. Yes, there's a pizza concept, but it's different menu and different experience than you get anywhere else. And so again, diversity of concept and just this idea of all of them are uh, scaling into something that really could influence the dining scene in a unique way. We've never seen a soul food concept go national. We've never seen a Cuban cafe concept go national. These are the types of stories that, you know, we're really getting behind and, and want to encourage as we, you know, watch to see if they can become household names. That's a good note to leave it on. Everybody just read about it. Please come to create. Uh, find out more about these founders and entrepreneurs and creators. Um, so thank you guys for joining me. I'm going to turn over to Brett's interview with Arthur Carl II. Thank you, guys. All right, Chef Steve, welcome to the podcast. These are some really interesting ideas that are kind of out of the box. What is your process like? So it really it really varies. I mean, a lot of what we do is consumer uh, consumer demand and requests. So, um, so and a lot of our, our cheesemakers, too, a lot of times what they'll do is, is they get together weekly and we'll basically go through and pull samples off our shelves. And part of these meetings are literally sitting here tasting and saying, hey, what can we do better? What can in, in the make in the process? Is there anything we can change? Is there anything that we can, you know, add or take away? You know, one thing about us at Belgiosa, which I know I've hit on before, is we very much are about clean label. 
we're very much about everything we do is what is best for the cheese, not about what's, you know, maybe best for moneymakers, so to speak. It's, it's really about what is best for the quality of the cheese, you know, and that's what kind of sets us apart than some of the other companies out there. A lot of companies do tend to just do, Hey, what can we do to get the buck right now? And don't, don't tend to look long-term, you know, we're kind of, our, our philosophy is we're really in this for the ride, you know, and we want what's best for, for, the cheese but then also really what's best for us to, and our customers down the line so that they continue to build those relationships with us and and they come to us with any uh, issues that they may have maybe with another company and you know we're, we're trying to be good partners in, in that regard and so we've seen a lot of trending and i feel like you definitely have something to say about this we've seen a lot of trending in luxury occasions kind of increase in a time of economic uncertainty people want to invest in nicer things occasionally rather than going somewhere more frequently that's a lower level so how do you guys sort of play into that luxury market well and one thing that really kind of opened my eyes you know this whole like i said this whole last week we were at the american culinary federation conference in new orleans and a lot of the chefs that i've talked to that do tend to work at the higher end hotel properties more the white tablecloth is in theory you would think a lot of these guys business is declining but it, it, it's actually totally the opposite. And a lot of that we feel like has to do with one, the fast casual scene is actually eliminating a lot of the seatings that they're having in the restaurants. They, they, they've learned to, to work with, you know, the Grubhub, the Uber Eats of the world, and that's where they're seeing their growth. Um, if you look at a lot of the new concepts that are being built, a lot of them are, are, are narrowing down or almost eliminating the amount of seating they're doing in-house. So. I think that that's really kind of the biggest reason why you are seeing uh, more of a trend to more of the white tablecloth and the sit down. If I'm going to spend my money and I know I'm only looking to spend X amount this month or this week, I'd much rather go in somewhere where I know I'm going to get the experience uh, of the whole di- of the whole dining experience, not just the, hey, come in, sit down, I'll throw it at you, get out the door and I want the next one to come in, you know? Um and with things like open table now you're seeing a lot more people that are they have no problem making a reservation they have no problem getting on an app and saying hey look i'll be there at seven and you know i got a group of 10 oh hey just jump to 12 and i can i can modify it right there and uh the, the restaurant tour is much more inclined to, to be able to adapt because they have the information a lot further ahead of time so what kind of products of yours are used in these higher end markets? And then in contrast, which of your products are used in like a fast, casual, quick service setting? Yeah, sure. That's uh so a lot of a lot of the cheeses you'll see that that typically are on the on the white tablecloth, so to speak, is really burrata's by far one of the biggest, you know, that's out there. If you look probably over the last six years, seven years or so, burrata's been one of the highest uh, trending cheeses just in the cheese category overall. What we're really starting to see now is because of the popularity of, of burrata in food service, now it's just pretty much a household cheese that you can go to your local grocery store and find, which not even two or three years ago, you'd go uh, to local retailer and say, hey, can I get burrata? Most of them either wouldn't know what it was or wouldn't, if they did, didn't necessarily uh, sell it. So that's been one thing. Obviously, uh, things like our American grana, which is basically like a dom- domestic grana padana, uh, Creamy gorgonzola, just gorgonzola as a whole. We have a, a a sheep's and cow's milk blend that does very well. One thing I like about it is it still has a nice big notes behind it. 
but you can easily put into a recipe and it doesn't overpower all the other ingredients. I have people that typically tell me that they don't like blue cheese or gorgonzola, but once they actually try that, they're like, wow, I had no idea. Um, so we th see things like that. Obviously, Parmesan kind of fits both sides of the world. Just uh, one project that we just launched right now is, uh, so Stracciatella is the burrata filling, right? So we're working right now with uh, Piata, which is more of the, of the casual, fast casual restaurant. Um, they're actually using this, this Stracciatella and doing almost like a spin on a, a, a caprese uh, piatta, if you will, you know, where they're using, basically using roasted uh, yellow tomatoes, the stracciatella, some arugula, a couple other ingredients in there. And they're, you know, incorporating that into you know, their very fast casual menu. Obviously, uh, sliced mozzarella with things like Subway we've seen quite a bit of. Um, and there's so, several others out there that we're really, see, really seeing. So for the most part, you see... Uh, sliced provolone, fresh mozzarella, and uh, low moisture mozz. And then from there, we kind of go into that pizza category with some of the low moisture uh, mozzarella blends or, or just the uh, whole milk part skim. One item that we do have kind of under that pizza realm, we did come out with what we call a secret blend, which is basically a blend of low moisture and uh, whole, I mean whole milk and low moisture uh, part skim mozzarella. And instead of having nanomycin or cellulose, we basically have taken that out and we're using grated Parmesan as an anti-caking agent. So the thing that's very unique to that is again, very clean label um, for under that, for under that category, we're pretty much the only ones we've seen packing anything similar to that. And uh, nice to see you, Arthur Carl, the second. <laughs> so you've been at IHOP for a little while now. How long has it been? So I started right at the end of 22. So December 5th, in 22. And what, what is your official title? I'm the vice president of uh, culinary menu innovation and menu innovation. Yeah. Culinary and menu innovation. That's great. And uh, where'd you come from? So uh, I've been in kitchens for a very long time. Uh, I started when I was 12 years old washing dishes. Uh, I've worked in a lot of different large chains, uh, you know, Cheesecake Factory in my past, as well as Dave and Buster's. But very excited and happy to be here at IHOP now. And so you've been there for about eight months. What have you been working on? So the latest project we just worked on, which just came out, was the Pancake Tacos. I thought it was fun. I thought it was uh, inventful. Um, as far as the the media, we got a lot of um, we got a lot of attention in different ways as far as social attention from them. And people just went in. They really liked the way they looked, liked the way they tasted, and they were pretty excited about them. That was what the last thing that we just worked on came out. We did savory. We did sweet. Uh, Sweet did a little bit uh, more sales. Everybody likes sweet just a little bit better, but uh, it was a great campaign. And these these are essentially, if I remember correctly, they are pancakes, but they're folded up and so you eat them like a taco, right? Yeah, we put them on taco stands to really make them like tacos. So figure a street taco, three of them that are on a stand that's actually propped up. And again, we had some savory ones and we had some sweet ones. Uh, the strawberry cheesecake one did really, really well. That kind of makes sense because who doesn't want to roll up some strawberry cheesecake in a pancake? Yes. Uh, what What were some of the other items? Uh, is it is are they still available or was that just a? a well, it was time? a limited time offer. Uh, it was the full month of July, I think the fifth through the thirty first is what it was, uh, and then it was it's something that you know you might see again in the future. We'll see, uh, but overall it did it did it did well. Uh, other things we're working on, we're always doing research to understand, you know, what's the next uh, best thing that we should put on our menu. We're really leaning into our breakfast equity. So if you think about any time of the day when people come into IHOP, 
70 plus percent of what they eat is going to be a breakfast item. So we do have steak burgers. We do have Salisbury steak salmon. But the majority of what people eat when they come to IHOP, they come here for a breakfast item. So we're we're leaning into breakfast equity um, and looking at how it can go across all day parts. So that that makes sense. I, I know your your uh, IHOP strategy, not your personal strategy in the past, has been to introduce some items targeted to different day parts. Obviously, the famous IHOP campaign from before the pandemic when uh, the P was flipped to a B and then you reminded the uh, world that IHOP does indeed have burgers and you guys reformulated them and all of that. And then you introduced some items like Salisbury steak and stuff a while back. Yes. Uh, I had that recently. It tasted exactly like Salisbury steak. So that was great. Um, But it sounds like now the strategy is a little different in that you're like, come in for dinner and still have pancakes. I think the interesting part of that is the way people eat now. Mm -hmm. It's the day part piece doesn't really make sense to people anymore. They eat the way they want to eat, when they want to eat, um, and they customize it the way they want as well. So as far as things, breakfast for dinner is a great thing and people like it and they have no problem with it. So it's a great thing for us. It really is. And it's also probably a little bit less expensive, a lower price point than, say, having a Salisbury steak or something like that. I would say, in general, I would say that's that's that, that's accurate. And that makes sense. I mean, we've been talking about a recession coming now since the beginning of the year. There doesn't seem to be a recession, but uh, it does seem like consumers, especially non-rich consumers, are pulling back a little bit. So that's yeah. it's helpful. It, it is something where, uh, good for us where we can have those different options. If you're going to go for that, that the Salisbury steak, like you mentioned, or the salmon, that's great. But if you can go with breakfast equity, that's going to be uh, better in your price point, And you're going to be still coming for that dinner, but breakfast item. That's great for you and for us. Yeah. And and I'm sure they're profitable. I, I Pancakes are not a high food cost item. Pancakes are great. Our pancakes are delicious and they uh, they do well for us. Yes, they do. And and do you, for your, your uh, new breakfast items, which I want to talk to you about, do, are they, is it pancakes or is it other breakfasty stuff like eggs and sausage and like that? So we're going across all, all the parts, right? So right now, I would say breakfast equity, if you were to talk about that with us, pancakes, of course, are, are something that's great. Uh, you know, crepes we've reintroduced recently. Waffles um, are on our menu, of course. You look at our Benedict uh, platform that came out. We're going to be looking at all those, and then we're going to be building upon them. So if you were to say, you know, um, if you were to say a Benedict now, is there a Benedict in the future that has a, a holiday scene to it? What does that look like flavor profile? Maybe a li- even a little bit more rich than the Benedicts we have right now. If you're looking at crepes, what flavor profiles can we hit in different seasons? So looking at, you know, that quality ingredient for the season, that's also going to tie into one of our breakfast equities, maybe crepes, maybe waffles, maybe Benedicts, and pull that across and, and, and get that through to our guests. Uh, we, we do see that, again, breakfast is the items that they want to come for. So how can we capitalize on that with more variety that they can still customize? but also has value and great quality. Well, I mean, everything's customizable. You just give people that option to do whatever they want. We do. We do. At, uh, at IHOP, uh, a lot of our items are customized, of course, and, and we welcome that. We want people to come in uh, and, and eat it the way that they want to enjoy it, and that's definitely a customized piece. Uh, so right now, for some bizarre reason, I'm talking to you in the middle of August, and it's summer, but... There is a lot of uh, pumpkin spice already coming out, and you guys are jumping into the fray toward the end of the month, I think, right? August 28th, something like that? Towards the end of the month, yes. 
And so what, how is an IHOP pumpkin spice item different from all the other pumpkin spice items? So it's in our iconic pancake. That's one reason why. Um, it's absolutely delicious. It's definitely a fan favorite that we're, we're coming back out with. Uh, we're also introducing uh, cold foam, the spiced cold foam on our cold brew, uh, which is an interesting new, new piece for us that we're excited about. I think it's going to play well with the pancake or with any other breakfast item or item on our menu. Yeah, my uh, colleague Alicia Kelso pointed out that pumpkin spice cold brew seems to be the trendy pumpkin spice item for this pumpkin spice season. I'm going to just say pumpkin spice two more times, pumpkin spice, pumpkin spice, because it's it's a lot and people are into it, at least for like a brief period of time. As I understand it, once Thanksgiving is over, then no more pumpkin spice. People don't order it anymore. They're about the peppermint and the chocolate. And it is interesting, though, because no matter what uh, brand you're looking at, it seems like pumpkin spice feels like it's always earlier, but it's really not. It's usually the end of August, comes through September, October, ends around Thanksgiving, and then everything changes. But uh, the pumpkin foam, the pumpkin spice foam that we have on our on our latte, Really good flavor, really good texture. It gives a nice, rich cup of coffee. And what is your foam? That's that's another thing that that started a few years ago. Starbucks started it before the pandemic. I don't remember when exactly. Um, and now everybody is scooping cold foam on top of stuff. How, how, how is yours also like an aerated skim milk or, or what is it? It's aerated milk. That's, that's what it is. Uh, we put the flavor in it. Um, and then what we've done is we, we looked at a couple different things. One was to, hey, do you actually go and flavor the coffee itself? Or do you flavor the foam? Mm -hmm. uh, we did both when we looked through and, and uh, did the ideation on it. And it, it seemed like a flavor of the coffee was good, but the foam pronounced itself a little bit better. So that's the direction we went with. Um, and through uh, through uh, customer research and, and going and understanding what the guest likes, I think the foam hits the palate first. So you have that mouthfeel as well as you have that flavor profile that, that really punches through. Makes sense. And operationally, you just have to have one kind of cold brew and then you put on whatever foam you want to put on. I, I yeah, we're, we're uh, very enthusiastic about this. We believe it's going to do well. We believe it's going to speak to our guests well. And if it does, that could be something that will return in different flavors, uh, you know, good quality ingredients at different times of the year that, that speak to our guests in those times. So is this your first introduction of a cold foam? So a cold brew we have done, but right. as far as cold foam that's flavored like this this is this is the first one so fun and yeah it uh, uh, seems like an easily uh modified kind of ingredient that as you said you can have different flavors at different times of year absolutely we're, we're enthusiastic about it and uh, i think it's a great time to introduce it it's you know the season's just about to change things are going to cool down a little bit more and i hear what you're saying it's august it's hot it's 100 degrees uh but the cool days will be coming yeah. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about, for some reason, when I was in Japan quite a while ago, you know, in February, which is obviously winter in Japan, just like it is here. But at the cocktail bars, they were adding uh, brined cherry blossoms as a garnish just to anticipate that cherry blossom season's coming. And so that's something to get excited about. And I think we can look at uh, pumpkin spice in a similar way that... Sure, it's not fall yet, but, you know, it's hot out there. Don't you want to think about cooling down? Yeah, and the cold root piece is great. It's it's what's in the market as far as the guest is speaking to, to everybody in that space, that that's what they want. So that's why we went in that direction as well. Really trying to listen to the guests, to understand what they want, um, and, and get them 
to to try something new because our our cold foam is new and then from there how can we build a platform makes sense are, are, is there other beverage innovation going on at ihop we will be doing research uh to basically from the ground up understand our beverage platform where our guests are looking for us to be and that's something that research that's starting and over the next year we'll definitely be be building on and changing uh, right now we do have our splashers we have great milkshakes that we hand scoop um our coffee, of course, juices. Uh, so we have we have a platform, but how can we explore that, make it even larger, a little more innovative, uh, with great quality? What is a splasher? So a splasher is basically you're going to have a flavor that is going to be like, uh, let's say, a blue raspberry. So you have a blue raspberry flavor profile in there. You're going to have a sweet soda that's going to be in there, garnished with uh, some kind of fruit. So it's going to have a sweet, it's going to have an effervescence to it, as well as a garnish that's going to be flavorful and fun. So it's like a value-added soda, sort of. There you go. And it's good. We, we do well with them. Uh, both children and adults really like them. Great. So we we talked about the breakfast tacos, and that, not the breakfast tacos, the pancake tacos, right? That's what we called them. And the strawberry cheesecake one was popular. What were some of the savory items that? Uh, you so offered? we did a bacon, egg, and cheese, which is which is uh, you, you can sub out whatever breakfast meat you want. Bacon, egg, and cheese is what it was. That did well. Uh, that's straight down the middle for us. That's something a profile that everybody likes at IHOP. And any kind of platform we build, it seems to be, of course, you know, bacon, egg, and cheese. It really goes down uh, the middle. We also did one, which was we did a um, it was fried chicken gravy, hash brown, and it actually had pickles on it. So very interesting country chicken, uh, breakfast uh, breakfast pancake taco. That one I think was the most innovative and different, but very, very flavorful, lots of texture profile. Um, and it, it, it was more exploratory, but I think came across very well. And so people bought it sometimes? Yeah, they definitely did. Uh, I, I would say uh, across the board, the taco campaign did, did well. Again, the strawberry one did the best. Uh, but the, the two savory ones uh, were in the running as well. So who came up with the idea of calling them tacos, even though they're pancakes? So I would say uh, prior to me being here, um, the Choco Taco, which is the taco that was frozen in the, in the uh, you know, in the gas stations there. Um, right. I think they were deleting it. So one of our franchisees uh, decided that they wanted to do something towards that. I believe it was a one day event <clears throat> that they created a taco with uh, and, and they put that out there. And after that happened, it got a good response. So as a brand uh, marketing team said, hey, why don't we really look at this and, and see if it's got legs? And that's how it started going about <clears throat> and talking about the taco. We looked at lots of different profiles. We looked at lots of different sizes. And we landed at the one we did because we thought it was very fun. It was something that could be shareable for a table, which is great. It's one of those pieces where I would say, yeah, you can have that as an entree, absolutely. But you can also have your entrees, and then everybody gets a taco for dessert. And you start with a taco as an appetizer. Um, so it's lots of fun. If you have, I'm going to have a combination, or I'm going to have a French toast. Well, I want to have that more savory. Okay, well, I'm going to get sweet tacos. Okay, I'm going to have a more sweet entree. Well, then I'm going to get the savory tacos. So it, it worked pretty well all the way across that. And it sounds like it was useful for incremental sales. Because, yeah, you can have it as an entree or share <clears throat> whatever else. The idea. That is the idea. So are there plans afoot to do other kind of maybe shareable items like that? So I would say looking looking into our future, right? We're always doing uh, you know, a lot of customer research to understand what, what they would like. I would say we're going to explore. Don't know where we're going to go with it, but we're going to explore uh, leaning into, into family, leaning into uh, what that might look like, if it's a shareable or not, to understand 
Um, how far does that go? I don't know yet. We're just starting the research on that. But is that is that a, a family style breakfast that is that is in the restaurant? Currently, we do family style um, family feast. We call it that. You can get to go, which is packed, which is a good amount of food that goes out there to an entire family. Internally, inside the four walls, we don't do that. Is that something that's there? Also, looking at our kids' menu, uh, researching that from the ground up and understanding it, it is it, it's fun. You know, we do some fun pancakes and some and some French toast and things like that. But how do we make that even more exciting, more innovative for our guests uh, as we move forward? So I think of IHOP as a comfort food place where people come and I bet a lot of your guests order the same thing every time they go in. So what is the motivation of introducing new items if they're already happy is it is it motivating them to come in more often try new things maybe try something more profitable i don't know i think i think the the innovation piece everybody's looking for um something interesting and new even even though you might come in and get the same old thing you always got uh it gives a curiosity for for where you can go with something um even looking at our, our breakfast equity talking about crepes so crepes, we, we've had on our menu for a very long time. It was a small section. It was reintroduced. And I think we did a buy one, get one for it. And we, we saw through that, that the campaign was good. The crepes are, are really good and they're standing through. And now they're an add-on because people really like the crepes. They order, there's four of us. Each of us get our, our entree, our breakfast items. And then we have a table crepes. That, we couldn't ask for something better than that, where we had an item that's been around a long time. We didn't, re, we didn't reinvent it, right? We put different quality ingredients on it and, and set it back out there to the guest, reintroduced it, I think, very well with the marketing piece that we did. And the guests responded the way we would hope they would. They love it. They're excited about it. It's in the top of our menu mix. And it continues to sell, even though it might not be the singular plate on the table. It's a table crepes that they're going to have, which is great for us. And pancake tacos, I would think, would be along that same vein. Yeah, that sounds kind of perfect that, you know, people come in and get the thing that they want to have and they're going to order every time. But then they get something else, too. They get surprised and delighted. Right. And you talk about that as well with the, the value piece. You're, you're thinking about some, an add on that's not extremely expensive, but it's a great treat for the whole table. Maybe it's a little exploratory. Like if you went with the um, country chicken tacos, you, you're going to go with that and say, OK, um, I don't know if I'd want that as my entree, but I think it's really interesting. So let's try it because you're not, you know, putting all your all your, uh, you know, heads in the basket. Yeah, I would. I would have tried that country chicken taco, but I didn't go to an IHOP in July. I'm sorry about that. Um, so you mentioned a few times uh, listening to your customers. Are uh, I assume that there are now new new tools out there to do. Uh, consumer research in my world. Well, I think everybody all over is freaking out about AI, which I think is kind of funny because I don't know. I've been talking to bots on the phone forever. Like, please <laughs> tell me, who do you want to speak to? That That's AI. So the fact that everyone thinks this is a new thing just kind of cracks me up. But uh, uh, is there what either AI powered or other tools that you guys are using now to understand your audience better? So, uh, of course, we partner, um, we have consumer insights internally, and we partner with large firms like that, Essentials and uh, firms like that, to go out there and, and channel the research in the direction that we want to go. As far as the AI tools and things like that, at this point, um, we're, we're still partnering with the large firms. It's not something internally that we're, you know, sprinting towards. Of course, it's, if it's something of value to us that's going to let us understand our guests better, that, that is something we would absolutely look at. 
But to this point right now, uh, you know, customer insights is a huge piece for us. But right now it's, it's more of through channels of large firms like that. Makes sense. Yeah, I have a, a friend who works for a consumer publications and he has to think of ideas for features and he uses AI to like think of some ideas. And, you know, most of them are bad, but, you know, some of them are pretty one. good. You get one. Yeah, uh, it is interesting. It's a definitely interesting landscape Um, that's out there. Absolutely is. So in terms of new flavors and stuff, are there are there particular ones that you're exploring or looking at, whether that's a cuisine or hot honey? Everyone's into the hot honey. You guys have probably already done a hot honey thing. I don't really remember, but everyone has. So are, are there I, other flavors? So I would say we're, we're definitely looking seasonal. Um, I think in the past we looked at uh, idea platforms right now. Uh, the, the chef team that I have really pushing them to say, okay, what, what's best in what season? And let's look at what that speaks for on our menu. And then how do we channel that across our, our breakfast equity to get to where we want it to get to? I, I wouldn't say there's a specific one. We're looking at a lot of different things. We do a, a good amount of ideation. Um, monthly we do at the end of the, at the end of the month, we have a lot of things going on you know, 20 plus items uh, we bring to the finish line. Uh, you know, a lot of them at the end of the day will probably land on the floor and not, not become live, but it's it's a great thing to get different sparks of ideas and go through. Um, customer research, of course, is there. Vendor partnerships to understand, you know, other chefs come in and give us a little, uh, hey, this is a new ingredient we're excited about. We don't know if it's on trend now. could be two years from now, but these are things we can look at as we as we move forward. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun journey to go on uh, and we're learning and discovering all kinds of things as we play with different things with with batters and pancakes and crepes. It's a lot of fun. And you're based in Southern California, right? Yes. Pasadena is where the office is. Uh, it was in Burbank, but we have moved to a new office in Pasadena. We have a great new test kitchen that we're working in. Uh, it's good steps forward. Most well, definitely. And LA also is a fantastic, innovative food city. So do you, I, I assume you you make use of that and go out and eat and try new stuff and get whatever the next birria taco is or whatever? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the dine around piece, don't underestimate the dine around piece. You you can go um, to different restaurants, whether it be a small mom and pop that is a tiny little spot but has this one great thing, or you can go to, you know, all different chains as well and get different ideas. And it could just spark an interest in, in one of the chefs that, that comes to fruition in a total different way but sparked something and we understood it. And then of course, seeing the trends, understanding what there are. So of course, we're gonna look at customer insights as, as through the guest eyes always, but then we're also gonna look at through an innovation lens and say, okay, what, what ingredients are hot now or what's gonna be hot a year from now? And then we have our feeling on that and then partner of course with marketing, um, with what campaigns that they wanna come out with and then get the customer's view, of course, the guest view in there, and then we can get to a good place. I I. Imagine that most IHOP customers are not coming in to get the latest, newest, weirdest trend. I like, are you, do you have to sort of be cognizant of like what you represent as a family dining restaurant compared to like whatever Asian restaurant in the San Gabriel Valley is doing? Right, 100%. And I would say if you were to say a few years ago, maybe three to four years ago, if you were to say the, the word dragon fruit, I don't think that would come near IHOP, but dragon fruit, everybody knows what dragon fruit is now. So it's not scary, right? Three years ago, I don't think it was as known. So 
now it's in a place where I think, you know, the IHOP guests would, would, would consider it and understand it. And those are the things, too, with, with what you're saying. Yeah, there's the hip, there's the new, there's the interesting. But again, we have to talk to our guests. What does our guest want and how do we take that ingredient and when does it fit into what campaign? And it could be a year and a half from now because we're just as our guest, consumer wise, they're just not, that's just not where they're at right now. But in a year and a half, they're hungry for it. They understand it. They know what it is and they're going for it. And I imagine it's possible that they might be into the latest, hippest, coolest thing, but they don't want it at IHOP. They want it, you know, right. at whatever weirdo late night place they went to. Right. But there's there's profiles you can get out there with the dine arounds that you might I've discovered places and things where the actual ethnic name or what it really is is too much for people to handle, but the ingredient and the flavor profile speaks to everybody. And how do you put that into something, but maybe not call it out as maybe ethnically or or specific ingredient as it would be authentically um, in that late night place that's, you know, that hip place. Yeah, the I, I still remember years ago, the largest burger chain in the world uh, introduced a sweet chili sauce that absolutely was a Thai chili sauce. Like it was, and it was a decent rendition of it, but you're not going to call it a Thai chili sauce nope. at this huge quick service restaurant because people don't know what that is. Yep. So that's, that, that's the marketing piece, right? What do you call it? It speaks to the palate, but how do you speak, you know, to the, to the, um, thought process as well right that's why you call something a pancake taco yes absolutely so i i don't i don't want to put you on the spot but have there been uh flavor combinations that you've gone out there and eaten and thought oh our our guests would eat this that even if you don't necessarily like you wouldn't call it whatever west african thing they call it there's there's interesting stuff uh, as far as i'll, I'll say on, on the heat aspect uh, our, our guests do like some heat. Uh, we use poblanos, but we use serranos as well. And serranos not a not a little pepper, right? That's going to have some punch to it. And right. We put that in some of our items, and, and they do so well. So our guest does like heat. When you talk about things like uh, not just the chili paste, but chili crisps and things like that, how can we look at that profile? Because I believe that could speak to our guest. Where does it speak to our guest? I don't know yet. But how can that speak to our guest? Again, naming it something that's that's different, um, but has that authentic ethnic like really channels that flavor profile um and how does it work in our in our items but that's something i think along the chili vein uh is something that definitely could be coming out um as far as exploring understanding most definitely. yeah yeah some of the uh, burritos that were introduced when was that last year the year before 2020 i don't remember and then, i mean poblano benedict as well i mean we have serranos in there so a poblano is a great tasting pepper Maybe a little bit of heat, not that much. Once you put the serrano in there, it definitely lifts the whole plate to a different place. So you have more of a of a pepper chili flavor with the poblano, but then you have actual heat from the serrano. Correct, correct. Which I think is both worlds. Yes. Yeah, I would uh, love to see more uh, habanero flavor because it's a delicious pepper, but you know, with less of the punch. Yes, yes, it's a lot. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of very spicy food, and I I've taken to cooking with habaneros. Now now that a good Thai restaurant has opened in my neighborhood, my spicy palate has been reignited. So when I cook, it's with spicier food. But I wouldn't ask other people to eat anything that spicy. It's not polite. It's interesting too, though. Grocery stores, if you think about the last the evolution of the last, I'd say you know five years or so, 
you can find ghost peppers, habaneros, scotch bonnets. They're readily available now where I would say, you know, in the past, you, you could go to a specialty market, of course, but it'd be a little more challenging to find anything beyond the heat of a Serrano in, in a grocery store. And now it's very prevalent that there's a scotch bonnet or habanero completely available. And dragon fruit, too. You could go to a supermarket and buy some dragon fruit. 100%. Dragon fruit, star fruit. Yeah, you, you see interesting things out there um, where I think rewind three, five years. I don't know that someone would look at a dragon fruit and go, how do you eat that? Like, what do you do with this? Right. Where where now it's a place where people are comfortable uh, to take that shot to try to. How, OK, how am I going to cook this up? How am I going to eat this? And excited about it. I mean, dragon fruit's an interesting one because it doesn't really taste like anything, but it's it, beautiful and it has a health halo. So that's nice. So it's it's very interesting you say that, too, because as you play with dragon fruit, it seems like it would be this powerful, incredible flavor because it's so vibrant, so amazing how it looks. But you have to put something else in there 100 percent because it's very it's very flat when it comes to flavor. It's just not there's texture there, but that's that's about it. Um, and a great and a great color. So how do you, how do we partner something with that? That's a great ingredient that can come across to the guests the right way with the right flavor profile, but yet have that right, amazing vibrance uh, and the dragon. So what flavors do you like to pair with dragon fruit? I would think other tropical flavors like mango, passion fruit, that kind of thing. So I would say as far as that goes, yes. I mean, you could go peaches, mangoes, uh, as far as texture and body compared to what the body is with dragon fruit. Um, as far as for what I've played with, definitely um, fits in there well, complements it, and then has a different flavor but goes with it compared to fighting against it. No. Makes sense.